All right, well, welcome to week five, Call of the Wild. We are so glad that you are here, logged on. Facebook Live and YouTube Live and Church Online Platform, watch parties. We're so glad to have you with us, every single person. And whether you're watching it live and able to right now type in the chat where you're watching from, whether that's in Florida or in Fallujah or Fallujah. I just surprised myself with that one. Just pulling it out of thin air, people. Uh, or, or if you're watching from uh, Montana or, or anywhere else in the world, we're not only pleased to have you, we'd love to see where you're watching from. If you're watching on the on-demand worship experience, welcome. Glad you're able to have a church experience whenever it's convenient for you. And uh, so great to see this just growing and seeing what God's doing expanding. It's a privilege to have you. Uh, once you've, for a while, been watching and enjoying the messages and enjoying the podcast and a part of our Fresh Life online fam, we would love to have you take that next step and get into community, joining one of our Fresh Life groups. This week, actually, we're gonna be kicking off a whole bunch of groups with some specific themes and subjects, whether that's on dealing with finances. I think everybody honestly should go through Financial Peace University at some point in your life. Uh, I would even say, if you're a teenager, do it now, when, before you have too many bad mistakes uh, that you've made to, to have to you know, figure out. It would be such a, a leg up in life. Uh, we also have some small groups aimed around marriage, some aimed around freedom, and uh, just getting past strongholds and toxic habits and addictions. And so uh, these are some of them in person, but there are options for every single one of those different groups for online groups as well. So go to groups.freshlife.church where you can get together with a group of people, uh, grow in your relationship with God, make friends. It's amazing to now see people in groups from other parts of the country and world linked up. Uh, and if there's not a group or, or, you know, oriented around what you want to gather people around throughout the week, uh, then you can start one as well. Lots of people start up sermon-based small groups where you just discuss the weekend message. We'll provide you with questions, making it easy for you to, to talk about what we're you know, in, in a weekend worship experience uh, living in for a few moments in God's presence, but then bringing that into the Wednesday, into the Thursday, into the Friday. And so we would love to be family to you as you take those next steps. And that's a really important one. I would, I would say every single person should get into a Fresh Life group. I'm not even going to say pray about it. I'm just going to say straight up, do it. Don't pray about it. Uh, just do it. We'd love to have you. Groups.freshlife.church. Come on, someone type that in the chat. Groups.freshlife.church. And if you have a Bible, uh, turn with me to James chapter 5, as we've been in this series of messages going through the New Testament book of James. This is the fifth installment. We're in the fifth chapter, which means this all ends next week. And so uh, don't miss next week. It's going to be amazing. We have our last week of, of soap journal entries and days, and, and then we'll, we'll bid adieu to the book of James. Or really just see you later, because we'll be back. It's such a good book, right? I can't say we'll be back without thinking about Hamilton. King, you'll be back. Because not we'll be back. You'll be back. Yes, very good. All right, thank God for Disney Plus. What would we do without Hamilton? All right, so uh, James chapter five, the title of my message is Five More Minutes. Five more minutes. Have you ever thought about how often we say that? How often five more minutes is the solution? How many times you've had to tell someone, I'm running late, I just need, what I'm, I'm gonna be Five more minutes. Like, just five more minutes, I'll be there. I'm just in a little bit of traffic. It's like, that's crazy. I just drove. Where you're coming? Five more minutes. Got it. Five more minutes in the oven is what we need, because it's not ready yet. You check, and you're like, mm, you need five more minutes. I'm coming back. And then, you know, you come back, and it's burnt. It actually needed two more minutes. 
Cookies, that's what I'm talking about there. It's high altitude. That's what always gets me with the cookies, the high altitude instructions. Uh, five more minutes is every husband knows how much longer it's going to be till his wife is done with her makeup. How long till you're ready? Five more minutes. Every wife knows it's how much longer there's going to be in the game before the husband can turn off the TV. It's just five more minutes left in the game, honey. Uh, every kid knows. Uh, when parents say it's time to brush your teeth and go to bed when they're watching a movie or something. It's like, no, mom, come on, just, just, just five more minutes, right? You don't ask for an hour, which is what you intend to get. You just ask for five more minutes. Five more minutes is also the title to one of the saddest songs I've, I've ever come across. This song is uh, by Scott McCreary from American Idol. You've probably heard it. I'm actually about to quote from a country western song. This is a first, ladies and gentlemen. Miracles do happen. Man, this song got me. I'm not going to lie. It got me. I was sitting there on YouTube. It was like, it was sad. At 86, my grandpa said, there's angels in the room. All the family gathered round, knew the time was coming soon. With so much left to say, I prayed, Lord, I ain't finished. Just give us five more minutes. And I can't tell you how many times my wife and I and our, 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 our kids have have longed for just, just five minutes with our little girl who's in heaven. Just, just if we could have five minutes with her, just tell us what you're experiencing. Five minutes, just, just let us know what you're, what you're doing and who you're doing it with. Five minutes. James talks about patience in the fifth chapter, the seventh verse, and that's going to be our subject today. I want to talk to you about how to honor God, how to worship God through cultivating patience. Look with me, starting in verse 7. We're going to read to 11. Therefore, be patient, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, waiting patiently for it until it receives the early and latter rain. You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brethren, lest you be condemned. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. My brethren, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord as an example of suffering and patience. Indeed, we count them blessed to endure. You have heard of the perseverance of Job and seen the end intended by the Lord, that the Lord is very compassionate and merciful." How great is that? Now, now, patience is one of those things that every one of us want to have. No one would take pride in being an impatient person. Like, tell me a little bit about yourself. Well, I'm 6'2", like soccer, super impatient. Right? Like, it's not a virtue. We wouldn't want that. We all want to be impatient. But you know what none of us want? None of us want to need patience. We want to have it, but we don't ever want to need it. Now, the good news is that patience can be developed. The amount of patience, the level of patience you have today is not what you're stuck with. Patient people are made. They're not born. They're built. They're not born. You can become a patient person. So don't let yourself off the hook. That's just, I'm just, that's just not my personality type. Like, I looked up the Enneagram profile for me, and it says impatient. Sorry. Is what it is, right? Don't hate me because you ain't me, right? It's like, no, look, look, you can develop your patience. 
It is something that you can grow in. It is a muscle that can be built. That's the good news. The bad news is that the only way to develop your patience is to run out of the amount of patience you have. To be put into a situation where you realize, dang it, I don't have it. That's the only way to get more of it. So what is patience? Patience is a serenity in the face of adversity, in the face of difficulty. It's, it's a serenity, a calmness inside in the face of, of difficult things that you're going through, circumstances that feel out of control. The Bible talks about patience as, and the exact word itself, I looked it up in a, a Bible dictionary, and it described and defined patience, this word itself, as enduring a trial without panicking. The ability to endure a trial without freaking out. The opposite of patience, then, would be irritability. It would be uh, to be full of self-pity. It would be to be upset. It would be to be stressed out. When he says, be patient, what he's, he's saying is, be calm when you don't feel like you can. Be calm when you feel like freaking out. That's what God wants for us. He wants for us to basically come to a place where there's a relaxed confidence, a serenity. Now, don't think of that, then, as being a passive thing because we know it's not passive, because when he praises the perseverance of Job, that comes up later. We'll explain that in just a minute. When he says, you, you've heard of the perseverance of Job, that word is a word we're familiar with in our Call of the Wild study. It's the word hyperstand. You've heard of the hyperstance of Job. Hupomeno, you've heard of the fact that, that Job had perseverance, that Job let God build this perseverance up in him. And this is something that very... Early on in James, he introduced that when trials come our way, they haven't come to destroy us. They've come to develop us. So it's not this passive, oh, well, is what it is. Oh, blah, dee, oh, blah. No, no, it's a there's, a, there's a strength that gives you the ability to have that relaxed confidence in the face of vexing, difficult circumstances. I think that then means that 2020 has been a great gift in God giving us the opportunity to develop patience by him exposing the illusion of control that many of us were under and, and lived under, intoxicated by, that we're in control. Now that that's been exposed to be a complete and total fabrication, that we're in control of approximately our reaction to the crazy, that we're in, that's what you, you and I are in, in control of, that one thing, your response to how crazy life can become. And to the extent that you trust God you'll be able to flex this muscle called patience. And then life can become what? A gift. Life even crazy, life even brutal, life even full of difficult twists and turns can become a gift. That's what he says in another translation. This is verse 11. What a gift life is to those who stay the course. Those who, who know, don't give up too soon. Let, let, let the clock run down all the way. It's just five more minutes, run it, run it down all the way. That's because God cares, cares right down to the last detail. In that sense, we can then lean into the sovereignty of God, that he's good, that he has a plan, he's up to something in this world. And so we can have that relaxed confidence. We can have that serenity in the face of adversity. We can be patient. And the goal of the Christian life, remember this, the goal of the Christian life 
is to become like God, more like God than you are today. Now, that's, of course, why it becomes so easy to be impatient, because the way we become more like God is God allows difficult things and uses those things and works those things for the good that we might be more and more conformed to the image of Christ. You can't be conformed to the image of anything without pressure to stamp something that takes pressure. So God's seeking to conform us to the image of his son, Jesus. And how does that happen? Pressure. What is it then? How do we know we're becoming more like Jesus? We become more patient because God is patient. God is patient. In fact, he said that to Moses directly. Moses said, show me your glory. God tucked them behind a rock, and God passed by. And as that happened, what is it? God declared who he was over Moses. And he said, the Lord, the Lord, compassionate, gracious, God who is slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. God is slow to anger. Some people have this image of God just, just waiting, you would, waiting for you or me to step out of line so he could squash us like the bug that we are. Now, that's Mr. Wonderful on Shark Tank. That's not God. God sent his son to die for you on the cross. God loves you. God is, is, is not desirous of anybody uh, perishing. He wants everybody to have eternal life. God holds back his anger. God is slow to anger. God is patient. So we become more like God, and we become more patient as that happens, and it takes pressure for that to happen. So listen, be patient with yourself. That can be one of the most, we'll talk about different areas of patience, but I think one of the most challenging is being patient with us. Why? Because it's so slow to grow. The image you see on the screen behind me is some of the redwood trees from California, amazing trees that get up to 350 feet tall. But I read that depending upon the rainfall, they, their growth can be as slow as one inch per year. Can you imagine that? One inch, an entire year of working, an entire year of, uh, you know, all that, and only grow a stinking inch. But as they are patient, slowly but surely, even an inch in a year can eventually add up over time 350 feet tall. But that can be, we can all become impatient with ourselves because we're not growing faster. We're not getting it quicker. We're, we, we think we would be further along. So we have to be mindful of the gaps. Like they say in London, getting on the subway, mind the gap, mind the gap. You have to be mindful that, lest you get you know, stuck down there under the train as it takes off. You have to be mindful of the gap, the gap between where you are today and where you're ultimately going to become. In that in that waiting, in that only a little bit of growth at a time, there's, 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 there's the temptation to become impatient with ourselves, and we need to have a confidence that if we just keep doing the right things, we're going to see growth. It can be almost imperceptible to ourselves in real time, but if we just stay with it, just stay with it, just stay with it, what will happen? We'll see growth eventually if we don't give up. James gives us four different ways to think about patience, four different sort of analogies or, or lenses to view patience through. And in these verses that we read, the first thing he tells us is to be patient like a farmer. Be patient like a farmer. A farmer uh, knows that there are seasons. And that's the biggest takeaway I have from, from a farmer. A farmer understands that, that the year has, has rhythms to it. And he mentions the, the farmer waiting for the precious harvest, this harvest 
That's the fruit of the earth coming out, and he has to wait patiently for both the early and the latter rain. The farmer understands that there are rhythms to the year. There's a time to sow, and there's a time to reap, and there's a separation between. And here's when rain's coming. The early rain in Israel came somewhere around October. The latter rain came sometime around March or April. So he knew he needed to lean into things and have things ready for when that rain showed up. He needed to plan it way back here so that it was just at this point when the early rain came, so that it was just at that point when the latter rain came, when the latter rain showed up. And so it is in your life, and so it is in my life. Waiting is not wasting. And we can be using those waiting periods and those waiting moments to be developing what's going to be useful down here. That's what I would encourage you. When you have in your mind something that you want to see happening, you have, you have something you're impatient with, like this is taking longer. I don't, I don't like how this is happening. I'm impatient with this circumstance, this person, or this situation. Always ask yourself, what can I be doing now so I'll be grateful when that time does come then? I think sometimes we can have it in our heads uh, that something's coming. And all we do during the whole time we're waiting for it is just wait for it instead of actually asking, what could I be doing now so I'm grateful when that day does show up finally? Think about a farmer. A farmer, if he spent all of his time only stressing and obsessing about the lettuce but didn't actually secure transportation for when that lettuce showed up, didn't actually pay for refrigerated storage and negotiate a contract with a grocer to, to sell it to and all the vendors and all the things along the way, he's not just waiting and stressing. He's actually arranging and doing all the things that he knows need to be done so that when this does come out, he's ready for it. So it's maximizing. Say, hey, look, I can't do anything about this over here to grow faster, but what can I do? I think about relationships. Those of you who are single, you're maybe thinking, I wish I had a girlfriend. I wish I had a wife. I wish I had a husband. I wish I had a, I had a boyfriend. But what, do you, what can you do now? You can't force Mr. Right. You can't force Mrs. Right. You can't make that happen. You're praying. You're doing all the right things. What, what can you do? You can develop yourself. You can develop yourself into the kind of person that that sort of person you're looking for is probably going to be looking for. So you describe this godly, charming ripped, you know, rich person. All right, what is that person looking for? Instead of just obsessing about them, be working on you. Like Andy Stanley says, be the person that you're looking for is looking for. That's being like a farmer. It's like, hey, look, this is growing. I can't do anything about when that shows up. Some of this is out of my hand here. But what I can do is develop. What I can do is be proactive. What I can do is do the things that are in my control here, in my control now. I can be patient, but I can be patient proactively. One of my favorite verses is 2 Kings 3.16, which says, make this valley full of ditches. Make this valley full of ditches. You're like, that's a weird verse, pal. It's a pretty cool idea, though, because there was a drought and horses and man, they were all basically dying of thirst. And the prophet, Elisha, he prophesied, and God told him rain's going to come. And so he told the people, in faith, go dig those ditches, because this massive rain's going to sweep through. This massive flood's going to sweep through the area, but you'll only keep the water in the ditches that you dig in faith right now. And so how much water did they get to keep? How deep did they dig? How deep were they willing to dig? That's exactly as much water as they got. So I wonder right now, what can you be doing while you wait for the thing that you're impatiently hoping would show up? What can you be doing today? I think about 
you know, you, the person who, uh, you know, wants to be a professional athlete or, or, or wants to, to act or has this dream of what this business could be, what could you be developing in your character now? We talked a little bit earlier about how I think young people should go to, you know, Financial Peace University or some sort of other budgeting class to really understand money now. Why is that so critical? Well, I came across a, a Sports Illustrated statistic a while back, and it said that 78% of NFL players are bankrupt within two years of retirement. 60% of NBA players are broke five years after walking off the court. This idea of, I want, I want to play, I want to perform, but not understanding that, that sometimes in life, uh, while we're worried about what if my dream doesn't come true, we should be asking the question, what if it does? And what will I need uh, to do behind the scenes? I think about how, uh, how little emphasis when I went to Bible college there was on the practical aspects of leading a church. Yes, we talked about sermons and we talked about counseling. There was even times when they would talk about how to do a hospital visit and how to conduct a funeral. But what about the business side of things? What about the HR side of things? I wish I had spent more time leaning into that. That would have actually prepared me for the dream that, that I was waiting for that was inside of me. It's what, what can you do now? How can you be proactive like a farmer so that you're using those uh, those waiting days, that waiting time to develop the things inside of you for when that season, when that time finally does come. James says, wait like a farmer. The ant, Proverbs 30 says, lays up in summer what he's going to need in winter. So that season that you're so frustrated that isn't here yet, what can you be doing today that you'll be grateful you did when it finally does show up. Wait, he says, secondly, like a family. Like a family. No grumbling. Others are on a journey too. You're patient, uh, impatient with yourself, but we also can be impatient with each other. We can grumble with each other. We can complain towards each other, and it can cause us to lash out. It can cause us to be unkind. But never forget that each and every one of us are, are trying to grow. Each and every one of us are, 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 are on this journey, this process, relationship with God, and God is trying to build us up. And, and so don't be impatient with each other. I think about the fact that Billy and Ruth Graham, Billy Graham was this great evangelist. He preached the gospel all over the world, and so many, so many millions of people heard the precious news that their sins could be forgiven by trusting in Christ because of Billy. But the story is told of the day that Billy and Ruth were driving down the road and there was some road construction and uh, they were waiting, waiting, waiting. And when they finally reached the end of it and the last you know, guy spun his sign from stop to you know, proceed with caution, go slow, they finally went. There was a, a little sign that said, end of construction, thank you for your patience. And Ruth turned to Billy and said, when I die, I want that to go on my tombstone. And I, a while back, got to go stand at the foot of, of Ruth's grave, and there is a Chinese symbol. It stands for righteousness, because she grew up as a missionary's child in China. And then it says her name, and the year born, year, year she went to heaven. And then below it, it says, end of construction. Thank you for your patience. And if you have in your mind that everybody that you're easily frustrated with your kids. Man, you need patience to be a parent. Your, your coworker, your, your brother, your sister, everybody in your life, there's an image of, of them that's like Jesus too. And there's an image of them that, that, that's what they're going to be like when they're finally in heaven. They're under construction now. 
And so we need to be patient with each other like a family, a family that, that, that loves each other, especially within the church as we think about what are we doing to help each other become more like Jesus. Someone in your life that, that doesn't know Christ, one of the greatest things you can do is love them unconditionally, give them space to grow, do what you can to help them uh, on in their journey to become who God knows that they can become. And that's amazing testimony to the world of the power and truth and the validity of our faith, the love that we have for each other. Jesus said, actually, the, the, the world will know that you're mine by your love for each other. So let's love each other like a family. And that doesn't mean we don't say hard things. There's hard things that need to be said, but we can speak the truth in love. Wait like a farmer. Wait like a family. He says then, wait like you know the future. Wait like you know the future. And the future he's speaking about is, is how this thing all ends. And that is with us standing before God. That's how this, this, this party ends. This, this whole world, this whole life, it ultimately comes to a place where we stand before God. He puts it this way, the, the, the judge is at the door. Like, he's, like his hand, he's at the door, like hands on the knob. And, and of course, that has a dual meaning because we know that Jesus again and again and again spoke about his second coming, that he's coming back to this world. He's coming back to set up his kingdom. He's coming back, and, and that could happen at any moment. We have no idea when it could happen, and we should always live with the expectation that just like his first coming caught people off guard, so his second coming will as well. But it doesn't have to just be the end of the world that causes you to stand before God. It could be the end of your life. The year my daughter went to heaven, there was this talk about the Mayan calendar and the world's supposed to end and, and all of this. And, and it was so crazy to let it sink in. Everyone was talking about the end of the world, but death came to our house before that ever had a chance to happen, before the world ever ended. And, and I think about how for you and for me, life is such a vapor and it is fragile. That's one of the things James says here as well. It's a theme to this book. Like, the illusion of control, the rich person who thinks that they're, 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 they're able to control outcome. He says, you're like a flower of the field, here for one moment, and then it's, it's all over. Life is so fragile and temporary. And so when we worry in a situation, we might be worrying about something that will never come to pass. And so we should be patient like we know that, as though we remember that, as though we truly believe that at any moment this could all end, and we're going to be standing before God to do what? To give an account of the deeds done in the body. That is what it says in Hebrews 9, 27. It is appointed for man once to die and then to give an account for the deeds done while he was in, the, the, in, while he was in skin. So if we are patient, it will be because we realize that we are going to give an account to God. Now, that's as Jesus people, not you're going to give an account and depending on that judgment, you're going to heaven or hell. No, that was sorted at the cross. This judgment is a reward ceremony. This is silver, bronze, gold. This is what Jesus said, I'm coming and my reward is with me. So we should have that image of Jesus in our minds, that he is truly coming, wanting to reward us. But, but what we're doing now is either going to give him the occasion to reward us or it's preventing him from being able to lavishly reward us like he wants us to. So we should be patient like we know the future. And if we are doing that, what are we going to be doing? We're going to be using all the gifts we have, using our abilities that we have, and it's going to uh, be to bring people to know Jesus, to bring beauty into this world, to help people, to, to help people come to know Christ. 
And I think one of the biggest things that keeps us from uh, living patiently is we get jealous of other people. And jealousy has been brought up uh, in, in the book of James. And the jealousy that pops up is interesting because it essentially derives impatience from seeing what God is doing in someone else's life that we wish he was doing in ours. That's what happens. I would be patient, but I saw that you're over here, and that's where I want to be. I want to be at that level. I want to have that position. I want to have that possession. And so now, and then we start, the family starts breaking down that we're meant to be living in as Jesus' people, because what? Now we're lashing out at each other. We're we're, we're, we're cutting each other down, we're jealous, it's causing there to be all that friction and all that unpleasantness. And, and so what, what will cure that is remembering, man, I'm not gonna be held accountable for what you have, I'm only gonna be accountable for what I have. I often think about the parable of the talents. You know, Jesus said that a master gave one talent to this guy, two talents to this guy, five talents to this guy, and said, put them to work, multiply them, and I'm gonna come back. When he came back, the five-talent guy had doubled his. Two-talent guy doubled his. One-talent guy was like, I hit it in the ground. Couldn't think of anything to do with my talent. And it's like, what, what in the world happened? Now, again, a talent uh, doesn't sound like a lot. You think of like, and you get one, like one silver coin, you know? That's how it is in the children's Bibles. But a talent, it helped me a lot to know, was a half million dollars. A half million dollars. And I wonder if when he was doling out this resource, the one talent guy got to half a million dollars and was like, oh my gosh, half a million dollars. That's not my money. I get to invest this. This is crazy. And was super pumped on it until he saw what his friends got. And maybe, just maybe, the reason he buried his talent was because he became dissatisfied and impatient because he realized someone else was given more than me. Now he couldn't think of anything to do with his one talent because all of his ideas were two and a half million dollar business plans. He had five talent taste and a one talent budget. And so he ended up grumbling. And when the judge returned, this is a parable of what happens at the end, right? When the judge said, all right, what'd you do with your one talent? He goes, I did nothing with it because his eyes had been on the five talent the whole time. And it caused him then to, to spin this whole story about the master being unkind and the master being unfair. And it's like, wait a minute. This guy was just passing out $500,000. What's so unkind about him? Like, he sounded pretty nice, right? It's like Willy Wonka, just like giving out the factory over here. No, no, the problem is you. And you had your eyes on other people. So when we remember that the judge is at the door, we're going to be standing before him before we know it. We're not going to have our eyes on each other. We're going to be loving each other. We're going to be grateful for whatever gift we have, and we're going to be using it uh, to, to, to bring a return on investment for what God has invested to us. The enemy will always try and get you to focus on what you don't have and what you don't get to do instead of focusing on what do you have in front of you? What can you do with what you've been given? I think about Joseph how easy it would be for him to be impatient because he had a dream of being a great leader one day. He had a dream of, of being a powerful you know, ruler and that even his own family would recognize ultimately his leadership ability. But God allowed the situations of life that came his way to bring pressure 
Because how does God get the stamp of his glory on us? It's oftentimes through difficult circumstances. Here's what you need to remember when you're going through one of those difficult times, like Joseph, where you're being lied about, you're being forgotten, you're being thrown into a pit, you're being betrayed, you're being left indefinitely hanging out in this prison cell, no end in sight. You need to remember that the process is the product. The process is the product. I saw that on an email I got a while back. It was uh, 2013. I was sitting in my office, and I, had, I don't know how I got on this company's mailing list, right? They get you, and then they never stop emailing you until you die. And I, I got this email, and, and it, was, it was the subject just said that. The process is the product. And the craziest thing was, as I clicked it, the email was actually them telling me how blue jeans are made, like how, how denim is made. I should know this. My name's Levi. I, I should not, but I did not know this. Like, I, I knew they called it like stonewashed denim, but they actually do involve stones. And in fact, they involve lasers. Some of the etchings in jeans involve like lasers burning into them. That's how they get the whiskering on them. And then they load up drums with hundreds of pounds of pumice stones, right? You would never in 100 years look at that and go, they're making blue jeans. Then they grab, well, now you would. Now then they grab sandpaper sometimes. And there's so many different processes involved in what it takes to get a pair of these. And you think like, oh, man, I want some cool, you know, look faded, distressed, right? Some of you are just like so full of judgment right now. Like, no, the only way you should have jeans look like that is by wearing them. All right, I get it. It's fine. Look, <laughs> under each his own. But you think about the, the art involved in this. And what they were saying in that email is, the process of these jeans is the product that you're buying. You're not just buying the pants. You're buying what the pants have been through, right? So listen, the product of your life is the process that you face in your life, what you want to become. So Joseph, when he's a young man dreaming of being a great leader one day, that's this finished product. But he had no idea that to get to here would take lasers in a jail. It would take pumice stone pummeling him, ow, 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 repeatedly in Potiphar's house. It would involve the sandpapering away of his selfishness. And what did he have to do? He had to always remember the judge is at the door. The judge is at the door. The master sees, I'm going to give an account. So when he was given the opportunity by Potiphar's wife to, 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 to give in to his sinful temptation that, that came his way in that moment, he said, no, I would never do this in the sight of God and your husband who is my master. He said, God's at the door. Even if Potiphar never found out, God would know. Joseph understood that God was shaping him. God was working in him. God was doing something in his life. The process is the product. The thing you're longing for in, in your life to see happen is the very same reason God has allowed some of the difficult things that have come your way. Your prayer has been heard. And God oftentimes answers our prayers with a trial, an unlikely gift that is there to do the very same thing that we want him to do on the inside of us if we don't quit. If we stay the course, life then becomes a gift. So Joseph, what did he do? Joseph used the gifts that he had, like a farmer, in small ways that would serve him down the road. I'm a leader. I'm meant to lead one day. I'm in a prison. What can I do? He didn't focus on what he couldn't do. He focused on what he could do. Can't lead a nation right now. Know what I can do? Sweep some floors, take care of this jail cell, start to serve other prisoners. I got a great gift of interpreting dreams. 
One day I might even interpret a king's dream. Save a nation. What are you going to do now? I don't know. Help my little prison friend with the dream he had? No one saw nothing glamorous about it. Stakes weren't high. He was just voluntarily helping someone out. He was developing his gift like a farmer in the background. And all of those things, all the, all the muscle memory he was developing in those days would come back to help him later. We were preaching somewhere this week, and my, my wife and I uh, were asked you know, some tips from a young preacher, like, hey, t- any tips on, on, on being a young preacher? And what we just said was, take it seriously now. You're in front of four people, take it seriously now. Take it, every, every time it matters. You don't, you don't all of a sudden get in front of a big crowd and then you're gonna really get after it. It's, it's, it's what you do in secret that no one sees that will develop the things inside of you that ultimately everybody will want to see. That's what Joseph knew. He was patient, like he knew the future. This is coming, I wanna get ready for it. This is coming, I'm gonna stand before God. The judge is at the door. I'm gonna take it seriously and put all my heart into it. And finally, we're almost done here. James tells us to wait like your forefathers. Wait and be patient like your forefathers. And he hearkens back. Ooh, I used the word vex and the word hearken today. What is happening to me? Uh, the, the beautiful thing is that he, 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 he throws his arm back to all of Old Testament history, all of the people who have come and gone following God. And he, he basically just showcases the result of patience. All these amazing things that, that they did and were able to be a part of, it involved patience. Look at it in another translation. It's verse 10. He says, take the old prophets as your mentors. They put up with anything, went through everything, and never once quit, all the time honoring God. And you think about your favorite Bible story, right? Like right now, someone put in the chat your favorite Bible character. Someone's like Paul, right? Daniel. David, Esther, think about it right now. If you're at a watch party, just tell someone in the room what your favorite Bible character is, right? And now now ask yourself this question. Does any of their story not involve suffering? No one remembers the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego just because they were good leaders. It's because they got put in a furnace. Moses was put into a crocodile-infested river. David had a lunatic father-in-law who tried to kill him for a decade. (laughs) Esther's mom and dad both died when she was a little girl. And then a maniac tried to kill every single person on the earth that she was related to. And she had such a strange dynamic going in her relationship. If she walked into her husband's room without him calling her first, she would be killed on the spot. (laughs) I loved that Queen Esther story. It's like a beauty pageant in the Bible, sort of, right? (laughs) The stakes were very high. What what am I trying to get you to see? What James is saying, he's like, I know it sucks when when everything's, ah, I know know 2020, I, I get it, I get it, I get it. But just remember, all the stories you love, they were people who were patient and didn't freak out, but kept and cultivated that, that serenity in the face of adversity. They, they, in their moments of truth, took their hyper stands. They took their stands and, and chose to have a good front foundation so that they could have that relaxed confidence that comes from that base. I, 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 I have like springs here on my feet. And now it doesn't matter what happens, I, 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 I'm stable. I have, I have, when you have that foundation, 
The opposite of what the devil wants to do in your trials comes to pass. You have to understand, both God and Satan have a plan for your suffering. Both God and Satan have an outcome in mind when trials come your way. The devil wants you to throw in the towel and be like, peace out. I, like, forget this. Like, I thought God was good. He wants you to bail on Christianity. He wants you to bail on following God because that's what he wants to happen. He wants the sun to come out and to scorch the wheat that spring up quickly. Yay, I love God, but doesn't have roots. Okay, because when you have a root system, you have that relaxed confidence. The redwood trees, their root system goes out for miles, and they connect all around each other. So they can withstand crazy winds that come their way. Their roots are all connected. They are, they're strong. They have root, now they have a relaxed confidence. I'm not, I'm not going to be taken out by this storm because of my root system. The enemy wants to take you out with trials, but God wants to develop you through your trials. He wants you in your trials to know, I'm being developed so I can have a root system. God's making me more like Christ, giving me the opportunity to become like him. And he points us to the ultimate example of this when he says, Remember our homie Job? Remember Job, what he went through? Remember Job's hyperstand? Now, what happened to Job? If you haven't read the Old Testament book of Job in a while, refresher, he lost his house, he lost his health, he lost his wealth, and he lost his seven sons and three daughters all on the same day. It got so bad that his wife was like, I don't know what you did, man but you should just curse God and die. Job was like, thanks, honey, <laughs> right? Early on, in, as you're reading Job, you're like, why did the devil not take his wife out? And you listen to her talk, and you're like, she's on his team. You know what I'm saying? It's like, I understand why he left her, right? And, and yet, Job, what did he do? One of the most beautiful things, and what he actually said to his wife was, shall, honey, honey shall, we, shall we receive Good from God only and not difficult? Shall we receive good from him only and not evil? He gives and he takes away. And at ground zero, with his entire life looking like a dumpster fire, he said, blessed be the name of the Lord. Though you slay me, I will follow you. James tells us, think about Job's patience. Job had no idea why he was suffering. We get to read the book of Job. We're like, oh, this is happening because when he was going through it in real time, he didn't know that God had been bragging about him to the devil, and that's why this took place. He had no clue why it was happening, but he knew who was in charge. One of the most beautiful verses in the book of Job, which is an honest book, full of confusion, full of pain. He didn't know why. He didn't know. He was, he was bewildered. It was in shock. He was raw. He was asking difficult questions, and he was giving it all to God. He was giving God that hurt, giving God that pain. But one of the most amazing confessions of faith is where he says in verse 25 of chapter 19, I know that my Redeemer lives, and he shall stand at last on the earth. And after my skin is destroyed, I know this. In my flesh, I shall see God. What was he saying? He said, I can go through this because I know the judge's hand is at the door. He's not far. He's up to something. And whatever happens here, I'm going to stand before him ultimately. God is going to have the last word in this situation. So Job says, 
Job says, I don't know why I'm going through this, but I know who's in charge. Therefore, I can believe what is taking place. What is taking place? The process is the product. And that's what he said. He said, when this is all done, the beautiful end intended by the Lord, who is compassionate and who is full of goodness and is slow to anger, the end intended by God, what is it? Verse 10, chapter 23 of Job. He knows the way that I take. When he has tested me, I shall come forth as gold. Job didn't know why, but was patient because he knew who. Therefore, he could believe what was taking place. It's helped me become like gold. And when this is all done, I'm going to come forth as gold. The product of my life is, in fact, being made through the process of my life. That is what I'm going through. So I'm going to come forth like gold because God is, is going to win in the end. I have no freaking clue. But I'm going to trust him even if it kills me because he's trying to make gold out of me. And how does he make gold out of me? Fire. Fire is how you, you, you bring forth pure gold. Behind me is a lodgepole pine. Montana's full of them. Wyoming's full of them all over the Northwest. They're beautiful trees. They get up to 150 feet tall. And they're really amazing because a mature lodgepole pine can produce as many as 9,000 pine cones in a year. The bugger is none of them can cause there to be new lodgepole pines because this is what a lodgepole pine pine cone looks like. They're so sealed up with pitch, so sealed up with a hard material that even if the tree does grow 9,000 of them, none of them can open up to new trees. They can't ever sprout out because they're sealed up. The only way they can be opened up is with fire. This is what one looks like after it's been burned. Causes it to explode open, and all of the seeds come shooting out of the pine cone only when a fire passes through which is why almost always in areas where there are lodgepole pines, after a fire has swept through, one of the first things you'll see growing up is new lodgepole pines to replace the old ones. It takes fire to open up what's on the inside. The process is the product. God's wanting to bring you forth as gold. So don't give up. Stay the course, and you will watch life become a beautiful gift. To summarize it, I want to point you to one of my favorite quotes from Ralph Waldo Emerson. A hero is no braver than an ordinary man, but he is brave five minutes longer. Jesus, help us to not tap out, but to trust you. Cry if we got to cry for sure. Scream if you got to scream, absolutely. But don't let go. Just hold on. We don't have to be braver than others. We just need to be, just hold on for five more minutes. We're going to see what you're up to if we don't lose heart. And I pray, God, that you would keep in our mind's eye that beautiful image of the end intended by you for Job. That in the end of the story, he was given twice as much resource, twice as much wealth, twice as much opportunity. And you gave him seven more sons and three more daughters. Not twice as many kids, because the kids that were in heaven were still his. So he only got one more set of children. So whether it's in this earth while we're still here or in eternity that we see what you're up to, we thank you that you're making gold out of us. So help us to trust you. 
feel the Holy Spirit so clearly whispering in my heart that there are people who just need to respond to this right now. And if you've been tempted to give up on something, to be impatient with something, but you're hearing God whisper to you, I'm still with you, I'm working on you, I'm not done with you, would you just respond to that by raising up your hand right now? Just saying, I can, I can do this five minutes longer. I'm just gonna keep trusting God. Help me to have that relaxed confidence. Raise your hand up, raise your hand up, raise your hand up. Father, bless these who are choosing to stay instead of go. Bless these who are saying, I'm not letting go unless you bless me. Keep working on my heart. Keep working on my marriage. Keep working on my life. Develop patience in me. Thank you, Jesus. You can put your hands down. And I want to invite anybody who is listening to this and you've never taken a moment in your life to invite Jesus into your heart. We've talked in this sermon about how life can just end. It's a vapor. You're standing before God before you know it. And the most important thing is not what you do for God. It's what he has done for you on the cross and that you accept that. Right. Invite him into your heart. Even right now, just while we're praying, just say, Jesus, come into my life. Jesus, be my friend. Jesus, help me to follow you. The Bible's emphasis is not on us coming from a place of being bad to being good. It's, a, it's about us going from being dead to being alive. And that's what God wants to happen in your heart right now. It's not about religion. It's about a relationship with Jesus. If you trust him, if you invite him into your heart, he will come in and make you new. Pray this with me. Just those of you who are responding to the Holy Spirit pulling at you. You might have even as a child said a prayer like this, but but never in response to the Holy Spirit, just so clearly right now, knocking on the door of your heart. Say this, say, dear God, I know I'm a sinner. I need your grace. Bring me to life. In Jesus' name, amen. We're so excited for every one of you making that decision, honestly. And if you would, send a text message to 97,000 and put the word fresh life, those two words, fresh life in the text. We want to be able to dialogue with you, encourage you, pray for you, talk to you about what comes next. How do you grow in this relationship with God? We'd be so fired up to do that. God bless you all.